Hey, welcome once again to Forbidden America. Used to be Forbidden America Radio, but I just cut that off a long time ago. So this is episode number two of the return of Forbidden America. And I have my trusty hot chocolate. And I have some things to impart to you today. Pretty much all you've been hearing about, uh, I feel confident in saying, is the virus, the global pandemic, everything that goes with it. I don't need to tell you anything about it because you've heard it ad nauseum, no pun intended. Um, So you know the drill on that. Somebody was talking to me just this morning. They called me bright and early, as people do. Steve, Steve, what do you think is going on? I want to get your take on it. Well... We talked about potential numbers, how many people will get sick and have symptoms, how many people will die, and how many people are at risk, and so forth. And I don't think this crisis has anything to do with losing population numbers. This has everything to do with how to control an entire population without firing a shot, Now, already you've formulated in your mind, here we go. It's a tinfoil hat routine. But bear with me, because I'm not going to say, in all likelihood, what you think I'm going to say. It's about control. If something's going to happen, and you don't want anyone to see it, you got to find a way to make all the people go indoors. It's the reason, it's the, mo- the main reason that the vast majority of people have never seen a UFO, which is to say an unidentified object that they were fascinated at looking at, and they can't tell what it is, but they've never seen one because they're inside. No one's looking at the sky. They're too busy watching TV. If you can get everybody to do that, no one will see anything. Whether this virus was intentionally released to create this situation, or was accidentally released, is it's ultimately irrelevant. It's just out. So job one is immediate, and job one is what do we do? This virus has never been seen in the wild. There's strong speculation that it was manufactured, and there's even some unverified information that it may have been in an MIT lab, funding was cut, and it made its way to the Wuhan lab where it made its way into the wild. That's not verified, but it's certainly compelling. And that involves Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein and a bucket load of money, and I'm still tracking that one down. It's important to remember this. The machinations of government and governments in general are merely tools to achieve the aims of the people that operate above government. The way in which governments work are simply tools for the people that operate above government. This is the same reason that there's a harp unit on every continent, same reason that they're engaged in chemtrail spraying on every continent. You may have heard this referred to as geoengineering. 
It's been argued that the spraying is making the planet suitable not for us, but for someone else. Possible delivery mechanisms for a global virus should be considered. May have been delivered via chemtrail or traveled here on any number of astronomical bodies that had solar trails that the Earth's orbit flew through, through the trails of material, and in so doing it covered a wide surface area of the planet with that extraterrestrial material. Or a disbursement of said material from some type of vehicle or vehicles from outside of the Earth's atmosphere that made its way to large swaths of area, geographic area, on the planet. The United States military is an unmanned spacecraft that has just landed after being in space for a record number of months. What was it doing up there the whole time? Well, what are any of these space vehicles that are unmanned doing at any particular time? We don't know. So that's another possibility. And the most obvious means of transmission for this is that it can be transmitted by asymptomatic people that have been traveling the globe routinely via the airlines. And that's a really, really, really good way to spread a disease, which has been working. So there are two aspects you have to approach this from. One is the game of chess, and the other is poetry. The military are not in on this. They're simply reacting, and they're following orders. If there was a human element that was involved, remember, in this type of operation, there are people that sit in a room and run the what-if, cause-and-effect scenario drills, and that is the analogy to chess. There are people that have already planned out how this would work, what would happen if it did, and what the response levels would be, whether to simply assess how it would go or to formulate a policy as to what to do. The other thing that's required is the ability to describe things by use of synonyms. This is the job of a poet, to describe something with words that are not usually used to describe a thing. The objective is to widen one's perspective. When is a thing not a thing? And when is a thing absolutely that thing? Depends on whether you believe in what you're seeing and hearing. A thing which couldn't possibly exist unless there's a hidden reason for it to exist. It comes down to accepting that there is a motive, and accepting that that motive requires zero compassion for the suffering and death of people. Consider that a soldier that isn't swayed by suffering is very effective in the execution of orders, such as the, what they refer to as the reptilian brain. Snakes and lizards and dragons, they don't give a shit. It isn't anything personal, it's just lunchtime. Think of alliances like the G8. There are similar but far more powerful governing structures out there. They have treaties and accords and agreed-upon behaviors dictating how they'll run the world. And there are certain groups that have been identified. It used to be the, within the purview of only the conspiracy theorists, but mainstream has now admitted that some of the things that those people were ringing the bell about are in fact true. For instance, the Bilderberg group, 
is an example of people that operate above the level of government. That's just a fact. And they sit in a room periodically and they teleconference all the time and they decide how things are going to run. And that's just one group that does that. All of the groups that I could tell you about are all groups that operate above the level of government. There are always people at that level of power that violate those agreements, just like people at every other level. And the people that violate those agreements put you and I at risk. So here's, here's more use of poetic thinking of, of metaphor and analogy. Think of Los Angeles. It's a very densely populated city, and the surrounding geographic area is just, it's a huge area, a lot of people, a lot of buildings, a lot of roads, millions of people. And it's lit up pretty brightly at night. So it's a major concentration of activity. Now think of an isolated, tiny little gas station in the desert that's miles from anything in any direction. The galaxy that we're in is like Los Angeles, and the Earth is like that gas station. And if a bunch of well-armed assholes showed up wanting to do you harm as you sat at that gas station, the people in Los Angeles would not necessarily know about it for some time, and you may not have anybody come help you at least not right away, and maybe not at all. In using metaphor and analogy like this, you are employing the same tactics as a poet. These are the methods that are used inside the rooms where think tanks come up with all the possible scenarios. You see, you can move the chess pieces, but only through the use of poetry, only through the use of metaphor and analogy, because the difference in its perspective is what allows you to see what's really going to happen. So, this brings me to the next level, spirituality. Most people have a very loose grasp, or no grasp, of what spirituality actually is. Hot chocolate break, here we go. Mm, it's really good. They think declaring support for and membership in a religion is being spiritual. It isn't. It is wholly political. It isn't spiritual. Membership in an organized religion has nothing to do with your spirituality. It has nothing to do with your concept of a deity. It's simply a way for you to join with other people. And then it just becomes political. And if you can't grasp that fact, then you don't understand. It could be because of the amount of rhetoric that you're swimming in because of everything you've been had drilled into you by that very religion. You cannot, you cannot be a critical thinker if you refuse to suspend the tenets, conceptually at least, of your religion and think objectively. If you can't think objectively, you will not come up with solutions, period. Here are some of the concepts that people have a very hard time accepting or even understanding. So, for instance... You do not have a soul. I'll repeat that. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You don't have one. You're the soul. 
That is to say, you are not a physical being experiencing a spiritual scenario wherein as a physical being you say, oh, I have a soul, and it can be taken from me, which would render me soulless, and I'd be a person without a soul. That's not how it works. In fact, you are a spiritual being that has nothing to do with religion at all. You could say life essence or whatever, you, however you want to phrase it. But you are a spiritual being and you're experiencing a physical reality by occupying a human body, including the reality of getting sick with a virus like this. The flu is nothing that, that we don't understand. We know what the flu is. We know what the common cold is. We know all these different diseases. This isn't news. And here's the next virus, which happens to be brand new and we've never dealt with it. And that's why... It's scary because it's been proven to be lethal and we don't understand it. So this is all new territory. And you're under threat. You are being threatened. So you're a spiritual being experiencing a physical reality, this reality right now, by occupying that human body. And this is the only reason that you're referred to as a human being. And in fact, you're only a human being because you're occupying the body. The real you isn't human at all. You're spiritual. You're simply using the body as a vehicle to get through the physical plane. So concept number two, you do not have a mind. I'll repeat that again. You do not have a mind. The mind simply is. It isn't a mind. It isn't your mind. It's the mind. The mind. The mind isn't local to your body, and it isn't in your head. I'm going to let that kind of... I'm going to let that circulate in the cauldron for a minute. Your brain is in your skull, and it's there to operate your nervous system and your body in general so that you can have an interface between spiritual and the physical. The brain is a biochemical adapter, is what it is. It's literally for transmitting everything that you experience on the physical plane to the mind. Concept number three. You are a holographic piece of a fractal reality. I'll repeat that. You are a holographic piece of a fractal reality. And in the same way that holograms, if shattered have the entire picture of the entire hologram in each and every little piece, so too are we like this. We each have the picture of the whole of creation within us, and yet each of us is a tiny piece of that whole. Now, I know that sounds really, you know, flowery and preachy and, you know, minister in the pulpit and religious, but it isn't. It's really a, a metaphysical concept of a metaphysical construct. If you take a hologram and you look at it, you've all seen a hologram. I mean, they have them on credit cards. They have them, you know, they're, they're all over the place. And it, you pick one up that's made of heavy glass or lucite or whatever, and you smash it. Now there's all these tiny little pieces. You can pick up one of those tiny little pieces and look into it and see the original picture in its entirety in that piece. And every single piece will be the same. Each piece has the whole picture inside of it. That's how holograms work. Well, 
there's the metaphor, right? That you are, in fact, a tiny piece of this great big, you know, universe. And the whole of the design of it is inside of you. As above, so below, and so forth. That's what that means. The, the, the speed of thought exceeds the speed of light. Somebody mentioned that to me today, and it reminded me of that concept that I've been working with for a long time. It's the reason that remote viewing works. It's instantaneous. It's also your connection to your mind and the whole of creation. They've been able to follow tachyon streams at least mathematically and in theory, that are really, really fast. Nothing has been able to go faster than the speed of light. Theoretically. But there's more and more compelling evidence to show that that may not be true, that some things do go faster than light. So if you are on the moon, the Earth's moon, or if you are on Mars, something traveling at the speed of light has a, a, a time that it takes to get to Mars, even at the speed of light. And it's only a short time, but it's nonetheless can be measured because it's far, far away, right? The sun is average of 93 million miles from us. Still burn you at 93 million miles away because it's a gigantic fusion reactor um, that isn't contained. It's just sitting there. But light from the sun has a, a time that it takes to get to Earth, Okay. At the speed of light, it takes a certain amount of time to get here. Thought energy. And remote viewing is a form of thought energy. It doesn't take any time. If a remote viewer can sit right here, think of something that's on the moon, like the lander that's been left there, let's say. Let's just use that. View it right now quicker than radio waves, quicker than, than light, quicker than anything. It's instantaneous. It's It, it draws upon what Einstein referred to as the spooky theory. Um, one particle being aware of what the other particle is doing, irrespective of distance. So from us to the moon, that's far enough. That's like almost a quarter of a million miles, right? To an average of 238,000 miles one way. And that's fine. But think about the galaxy, you know, and the breadth of the galaxy that we're in. And it isn't even that big a galaxy as galaxies go. It's a distance from us to our sun. What's the distance from our sun to the next nearest sun and the next nearest sun to that and so on and so forth. And then when you see the center of it, there's Los Angeles, right? You know, with the metaphor. We're out here on the gas station, out toward the edge. And when you look up in the sky and you see that Milky Way, you're looking at the edge of the galaxy. And we're way out here, and there's Los Angeles way in the middle. How many people live between here and there? Probably quite a few. There's, there's no way that's not true. Just from math. Just do the math, and there's no way that's not true. Oh, it's going to be gone soon. So that is your connection to the whole creation, is the fact that thought energy has... There's no amount of time that it takes to transmit. It's instantaneous, irrespective of distance. So this fractal nature of things is why each biological manifestation is imbued with some level of consciousness and awareness. 
plant life is very much aware of its surroundings and it's aware of you. And yet it doesn't have a brain as we think of a brain. And yet it's aware. So if it's aware, does it have thought or is it simply sensing things? It could very well be that it has thoughts. Maybe not the kind of thoughts you have because it's not like you at all. But it may have its own version of thoughts. So it has thought energy. And that can transmit any distance instantaneously, irrespective of distance. Remember that sentient, self-aware biological life forms take many, many shapes. And I I propose to you right now that viruses are no different. They're aware. They're doing what they do. They don't act like we do in that they don't seem to be interested in anybody's desires or wants or needs or they don't care but they do act like us in another way their entire job appears to be according to mainstream science to exist to procreate to find the resources it needs to sustain itself to reproduce and that's it so in the process of doing those things it uses up all of the resources, right? It just it just consumes everything in its path. It does so en masse, right, as a, as a large group. Makes more and more and more and more of itself, right? Keeps procreating, makes bigger population, bigger population, bigger population, and uses up everything in its path without any regard for whether that's sustainable. And that's why biological um, invasion, you know, like when you get the flu or the cold or whatever it is, that's why you get sick, Its job is to ransack the place, to destroy everything in its path. And in that sense, it's very much like us. It's very much like us, because that's what we do. So we should learn from this. I I mean, you got to learn from it somehow. Viruses are aware, right? They're no different than us in that regard. And it's nothing personal. It's just lunchtime, and you are on the menu. Some life forms can't be reasoned with. You cannot appeal to their sense of right and wrong or compassion. They simply see what they need, want what they want, nothing else matters. And they simply go about achieving their objectives and then they move on. So remember this when I say that the end game for the use of COVID-19 has already been achieved. The objective was to see if they can make everything shut down, make everyone go inside, make everyone stop being a society, and simply wait indoors for whatever might come. You know, how do you get 7 million people to do what you want and not have to use any force? That was the what if that they were dealing with when they sat in the strategy room and they moved the chess pieces around and they, they played through the, well, if it's this and then it's this and then it's that, then where does this go? Okay, so... This is what we need to do in this order. The biggest weapon the government owns is plausible deniability. The ability to explain away whatever it is. No airplane was ever found in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. No airplane. And no airplane was ever found at the Pentagon. And neither were there any airplane wreckage documented to be hauled away from Manhattan 
the World Trade Center. And yet, we're told that Arabs with box cutters crashed four planes, planes that were mysteriously, somehow, never recovered. Illusionists perform their illusions in plain view of their audience. It's what they do. And every time you see something that you can't comprehend because it's too big or it's too horrible, and no, they wouldn't do that. No, I'm not going to second-guess their motivations because they're there to help us and protect us. They're there to help and protect the system. They're there to help and protect themselves, certainly. If protecting you serves the system, then they will. If protecting you doesn't serve the system, they will not. You will be on your own. I'm not trying to say that that makes them evil. I'm not trying to say that they're out to get us all. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is, it's nothing personal. It's just lunchtime. And you're on the menu. That will never change. And so, for Forbidden America, because if it's Forbidden America, let's talk about it. I'm Steve McManus. And I look forward to speaking with you next time.